So I have a confession to make. Um, I feel like a lot of positive things were said about me from the platform last week, but I have to tell you, I don't know Latin. I don't, I don't know the words that were said in Latin that were used. And man, I, I don't know a ton of Greek or Hebrew. That's just not on my resume. So whatever you thought coming into this, just know, man, as, as kind, as sweet as those words were, I got to be real. I, I didn't. I didn't catch many of the Latin phrases that were used, and I was like, man, I don't have enough time this week to learn. So, but I will say, I do have something on my resume that many of you might not know about. Um, I don't know if it's something to brag about, really, um, but I thought I would bring it up this morning. Um, I actually am quite experienced in dog sitting. Do I have anybody else in the room that's like, for some reason, my friends and my family see me as the perfect candidate to dog sit for them, and I have no idea why. I actually have a little bit of an idea why. So any of you that are just in your 30s and doing life and single and ready to mingle, I know that you've also maybe been looked at as the perfect candidate <laughs> for dog sitting for others. I joke, I actually love it. I love dogs and I have so many in my life. Um, but I could really at this point put that down on my resume. Many of you in here are like, yeah, Pastor Meredith's watched my dog a few times and I will not stop. I will continue. I love dogs. But as I was thinking back in my career, my dog sitting career, I remembered one particular story. I was younger, I still lived with my parents. I was probably in middle school or high school and my next door neighbor, a couple of doors down, said, hey, Meredith, would you dog sit while I'm out of town? I said, absolutely, of course, I would love to. She was like, great, I'll leave out instructions for, I'll leave the dog food out. Um, you have everything you need. Just let him out every couple hours. Thank you so much, I appreciate it. And I was like, enjoy your trip. I won't bother you. Have fun, I got you, right? So the time came where I was like, all right, it's time to walk over to my neighbor's house, let out the dogs, fantastic. So I walk over there, and I'm like, this is gonna take me a couple minutes. I go up to the back door, turn the knob, nothing. I'm like, this is interesting. I thought this door was gonna be unlocked so that I could go in and let the dogs out. I was like, no worries, no worries. I'm sure there's, there's a different door to the house that's unlocked so I can get in and let the dogs out. So I go in the backyard, up the long back deck steps, come up to the slider door, pull it, nothing. I'm like, okay, I'm kind of starting to panic because now the dogs are barking and I feel like they're starving. I feel like this is like a Sarah McLaughlin commercial and if I don't get in there in like three minutes, it's over. So I'm like, okay, I'm gonna try the front door because like maybe that's, I mean, it was back in the day so people unlock their doors more than not. So I went to the front door, I try it, it is locked. And now I'm like, no, what am I going to do? And I don't know if you guys can relate to this, but when I was younger and an adult and a person of authority said, hey, here's my number if you need anything while I'm gone, to me that said, no matter what the emergency, do not contact me. <laughs> I had this thing ingrained in my memory that said, I don't care what happens to this house, in this house. If it catches on fire, it's my job to put it out. All I know is I will not bother my neighbor when she is out of town 
for the life of me, I am going to figure out how to get in this house and let out these dogs. So now I'm like, okay, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? So I'm just tra I'm going around the house, around the house, trying to figure it out. I go around to where the dogs have a little uh, fenced-in area where they use the bathroom, and then I see it. There it is, attached to the garage, this little cutout of an opening with a swinging door. And I, I looked at myself, and I looked at the door, and I said, this is it. God made me for this moment. To all the small-framed people in the room, you know what I'm talking about. Not everyone could, could accept the challenge, but I said, this is how I'm getting into this house. I'm crawling through the doggy door. So what did I do? I got down on all fours, like the dogs themselves. I crawled into the doggy door, got into the house, all was well, she never knew. You are the first to ever hear this story in my entire life. So. There it is, there it is. And see, while it's great that my neighbor and other friends and family want their dogs to be fed and let out and taken care of, I need to have access into their homes in, in order for me to do that. I need, preferably, a key. Um, that wasn't the first time I went through a doggy door, actually, for my friends, and it probably won't be the last. Um, people just want me to, they're like, oh, a small space? Meredith, it's all you. I'm like, so all that to say, I need access in order to help them out. I need a key to the front door. So I want you this morning for a moment to just picture your life as a house. And inside, there are rooms. And maybe all those rooms represent different areas of your life. Maybe behind one door, it's your future. Another is your relationships. Another is your finances. Maybe your struggles. Maybe your past. Maybe your hopes. Maybe your dreams. Most of us would say that we want all of the rooms in our house to be taken care of, right? I want all the rooms in my house to be taken care of. But I wonder if we've given God complete access to them. So this morning, that's what I want to talk about. We're going to read and discuss the God of the universe who created you and I and wants access to the deepest parts of us for our good and for his glory. So let's go to scripture together. We are going to be in Exodus chapter 9. And we're going to open with talking about Moses. Many of us are familiar with Moses, but I want to do a quick recap. Moses was born a Hebrew baby, and then he was raised in Egyptian culture, given up, raised in Egyptian culture because his family could not keep him. And he was raised with this great love for his people, the Israelites, though he was raised up from Egyptians. So Moses, we see before we get to Exodus 3 chapter 9, is actually working for his father-in-law in Midian. Why? Well, before, when Moses saw one of his Israelite people being mistreated, 
by an Egyptian. He took matters into his own hand and he murdered that Egyptian. And then he ran away to Midian because he felt shame because he knew he was now a murderer and because the people in his town knew as well. So when we get into the story, we have Moses in exile in Midian working for his father-in-law Jethro. When God visits him on Horeb, the mountain of God. So here he is ashamed of his past, probably ashamed of his Israelite heritage at this point, a little bit confused, hiding away, but he still has this innate desire to see God's people set free. But he's also just tucked that away because he's like, well, I gave it a shot. It went horribly wrong. I'm not the guy for this. I'm out. And he flees. And then we see God visit him in an incredibly powerful way. And that takes us to Exodus chapter 3. We're going to be in verse 9 through 12. So let's read that together. It says, And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. I have also seen the oppression of which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses says to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you. And this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So God knows well before he visits Moses that Moses has ran away into exile. He knows Moses murdered an Egyptian and he knows that some of Moses' own Israelite people actually look down on him. But ironically, God goes after Moses. He shows up and he says, Moses, give me access to all of those things. I already know what's going on. I already know what's in you. I already know what you've done. Moses, just give me access to you. Trust me and watch me do to you the very thing you thought you were disqualified for. And I love the exchange between Moses and God. And this actually, this exchange happens more and more and more throughout Exodus. It's this, Moses is like, but Lord, do you know who I am? Do you know what I've done? Do you know my shortcomings? Do you know my fears? Do you know my failures? And God responds every time with Moses, but this is who I am. And this is who you are as my child, as my son. They continue to have these back and forth exchanges where Moses is reminding God of his insecurities and doubts while God is reminding him of who he is and who Moses is as his child. See, Moses was in this place where he was hiding. He'd hidden his shame, he'd hidden his fear, and his past and his insecurities from people and from God. But then God comes on the scene and completely disrupts the narrative in Moses' head by saying, I see you, I see your people, I've heard their cries, I know their pain, and I want you in your current state, <laughs> where you're at, 
with all those things you've been hiding away to be the vessel through which I save the people and I more importantly glorify my name to them. Moses didn't want anyone to access him because of what he'd done. But God wanted access to Moses for his good and for his glory. See, God wants the same access to us. He wants access. Some of us think, no, 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 I'm hiding away the things that God's not going to want to look at, deal with, or use later on. God's like, no, 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 I want access to the very things that make you feel like your future is hopeless, you're not good enough, you have to handle it on your own. He wants access to every part of you. He's not a God that gets distant when we're afraid, that gets distant when we've messed up, that gets distant when we feel we don't measure up. He's a God that says, I want access completely and fully to your life. And if you will give me that in the areas you've hidden away, watch what I do for my glory. Just watch how I put you on display for my glory. God wants access to you. And that's so hard to get sometimes because we get so clouded in our minds with, man, I'm thinking about me and where I fall short or we limit ourselves, we limit our future, we limit anything that God can do through us. I've been in that same place myself. If most of you probably don't know this, I never planned to go into ministry or to become a pastor or to do missions or do anything with the church. That was never part of my plan. Actually, my, one of my insecurities growing up was that all my friends around me had a bunch of these Bible verses and scriptures memorized, and I always came to the table like, who is that character and where is he from? Ooh, man. I just, I felt that I wasn't good enough. I've looked at myself and thought, there is a list of reasons why my mind wouldn't even imagine that God would say, hey, I want you to minister to people. I was like, no. It never crossed my mind. Never crossed my mind at all. So after I graduated high school, I was like, sweet, I'm going to go to a university and then I'm just going to figure it out. I want to help people. Maybe I'll do something medical, which is amazing. I realized I'm not built for that. <laughs> but God encountered me in this very room when Pastor J.P. Dorsey was on the stage talking about North Point Bible College. And I'm sitting in a pew and he's talking about this ministry school and he's giving this fantastic presentation and it's really a call to the room to say, hey, this is our school, we want you here. And I'm sitting in the pew and God starts to just knock on the door of my heart like, hey, hey, I want you to go here. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like Moses, I'm like, God, <laughs> what? It's me you're talking to. I was like, no, that's not, that's not a thing. This isn't the conversation. That was cute. I'm gonna leave church, wipe my tears, and then move on with life. Well, clearly that didn't happen because I'm here, but what I'm getting at is God came to me and said, Meredith, I'm going to give you the option here. I want access 
to your fear, to your shortcomings, to your insecurity, to everything you think disqualifies you. And if you'd give it to me and you give me your yes, I will use you to glorify my name and make myself known. And it's not about you, it's about me getting my glory. But I love you enough and I want it to be you because Jesus has a way of choosing people that feel completely disqualified. He has a way of just choosing humanity, <laughs> you and I. God wants access to us. And I know there's so many people in this room that could say, amen, that's been me. <laughs> How did I get here, Lord? <laughs> God wants access. See, there's a lie that the enemy's been using since the beginning of time. And it's the reason God, it's the reason Moses hid away in exile from his own people and from God. It's the lie that once we've messed up in a certain area of our lives, God no longer wants to help us. Or man, if people knew my limitations, or because of my past, because of the way I was raised, because of where I find myself in this culture, I'm gonna hide those things away because they're not good enough, and God won't use it or help me in it. It's up to me to overcome it, to fix it, and we're supposed to interpret all of these struggles and all of these shortcomings and all of these things as God's punishment on us for not being perfect. We're supposed to just keep ourselves trapped in shame. The enemy is, is wanting to keep you and I trapped in shame. And he wants us to hide away. And honestly, I have written in my notes, that's the dumbest thing ever. <laughs> because I didn't know how else to think about it. Because Moses wasn't perfect, the Israelites weren't perfect, but God heard their cry. Scripture says he saw them in their affliction and he was moved with compassion to free them and make himself known. And this lie, right, that God doesn't want access to us, that God doesn't want to use us or redeem us, has been there through Scripture since the beginning of time. And this same theme actually shows up in the New Testament. And Jesus continues to come on the scene to straighten things out because he says, I am God incarnate and I'm gonna show you and I'm gonna prove to you what I've been saying all along. And so we see Jesus on the scene in John chapter nine, verse one. This is the account of the man born blind and what Jesus does when he encounters him. So if you would, turn with me to John chapter 9, verse 1. It says this. As he passed by, Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work, and as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud. Some of y'all are like, oof, that's not the miracle I want to experience. Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. He was once blind and he came back seeing. There's so much in this text to highlight. 
I mean, just simply the expression by Jesus saying, I am the light of the world, when he was the one that gave the world light, and then he was the creator, and then used part of his creation to heal a man born blind, that in of itself is crazy. <laughs> but the significance of Jesus healing this man is also huge. Not only did Jesus communicate his divinity as God, as Lord, and miraculous power, but he said that what others think is a symbol of shame and punishment is gonna be the way that I communicate my goodness and glory. See, if you didn't catch earlier, the first question was, Rabbi, who sinned that this man, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? See, the culture looked at this blind man and said, the reason he has a setback, the reason he is blind is because of something he's done or something wrong that his parents have done. It was an object of shame that every time someone saw this man, they thought of punishment, sin, shame. It was shame. That's how culture looked at him. That's how Jesus' own disciples interpreted this. And that's how the religious teachers and people of the law looked at this man. But Jesus said, no, his blindness isn't an object of shame. I'm going to use it as an object of my glory and I'm gonna heal him. And ironically, he could see as a blind man more than those around because he understood who Jesus was when everyone around him was confused. See, there are some who can't see Jesus spiritually. Their spiritual eyes are blocked, right? You might know them, family, friends, Coworkers, people that just can't see him. They're spiritually blind to who Jesus is. But if they see how Jesus restored and redeemed and used the most damaged parts of our lives, maybe the scales would fall off their eyes. Maybe this hardship you're facing isn't something that he wants you to remain in forever. Maybe the sin and the shame that you're in is something he wants access to, and maybe he doesn't want you to stay there forever. Maybe when you can't see past your current life into your future, maybe that's the very point where God wants access to and says, no, I don't want you to stay in this place forever. I want to help you. I want to help you in this spot. So Jesus communicates time and time again that even if you feel stuck, whether it's something you've done or it's something that's happened out of your control or if it's fear or whatever it is, an area in your life where you feel like, I'm hiding this away, I don't know what to do with, about it, this is on me, maybe that's the perfect opportunity for Christ to display himself. And what I love is, Jesus didn't do it far away. He didn't call out from 20 feet to the man that was blind and say, I see you're blind, go wash, go wash in the pool, come back, you'll be healed. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus went 
up close and personal to this man who was carrying the symbol of shame, so the culture thought. He got down on his knees in humility. The creator made mud with his own saliva. He stands up and he touches the man's eyes, the symbol of shame, and he wipes the mud on his eyes. He gets close. His healing was close. His redemption was close. His miracle was close. He wants to be close. He wants to be close. He wants access. And you never know what Jesus will do when you give him complete control of your life. He's always surprising us. He's always blowing our expectations out of the water. First, he did this in scripture with the man born blind. And everyone was like, man, I didn't know Jesus could do that. I didn't know he would do that. There's so many things that just exceeded our expectations. All the crowds are always limiting Jesus. He does something crazy and they're like, uh, I don't know what to do. Jesus continues to do that over and over and over again. And what I love is that even times when people had thought Jesus has, has reached this peak of his ministry, he would still blow their expectations out of the water. Watch this. Turn with me to John chapter 11. John chapter 11, a couple chapters later, which is great. Just helps the narrative. Verses 34 through 44, I'm gonna read it. it says this. He said to him, where have you laid him? They said, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So this is the intro to the passage where Jesus' friend Lazarus has gotten sick. Jesus hears that his friend Lazarus is, is ill. And Jesus, by the time he gets to Lazarus, Lazarus has passed away. So Lazarus is now with Lazarus, or Jesus is now with Lazarus's sisters, Mary and Martha. And you see these exchanges between Jesus and Lazarus's sisters. And it's these of, man, Jesus, we know that if you would have showed up when Lazarus was still sick, you could have healed him. Because we know from before that you heal people that are sick and that have infirmities. So we're kind of disappointed and bummed because we figured if you would have showed up on time before Lazarus died, you could have done something about it and our brother would still be here. Well, let's keep reading. So the Jews said, see how he loved Lazarus. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. Jesus says to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took the stone away. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. 
When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out. His feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. When Jesus was given access to the tomb of Lazarus, he did something no one thought possible. He said, I know you think you know the end of this story. He said, I know you think you know the extent of my healing power. He said, I know you think you know what the outcome could be. I know you think that giving me control will maybe help, but it won't solve the problem. Maybe you think you know what I will do and how I will do it. But Jesus communicates through this passage that I can do exceedingly and abundantly above anything you can ask or imagine. See, some of us need to understand that God's work in our situation is not finished yet. He's not finished yet. He doesn't settle for part of his glory. He will have all of his glory that we might experience the fullness of his goodness. So what I wanna encourage you this morning with family, <laughs> if you've given God access to different areas of your life, don't give up. He's not done. He's not done. The outcome you think you know, <laughs> his ways are higher. His plans are higher. His thoughts are higher. Don't block God from having access to every area of your life. You never know what he wants to do with it, how he wants to take you from where you are and bring you from glory to glory to glory to glory to glory. And I know some of us get so tired we get so exhausted and our minds are wrapped up in thinking, I don't know, do I have to just deal with this one on my own? Is my anxiety just here and I'll settle with it? Do I have to just stay stuck in this rut and shame with my finances and I don't know what to do and I don't, I don't see a way out? I just will be trapped in my fear of the future because I just, I don't see a future where anything's different. I know what I want and I know what my desires are, but man, I just can't see past what I'm looking at right now. And I have to say that I've been there. <laughs> I've been in that place of feeling like, man, I think Jesus will be with me and he's good and I love him, but I just, I still think I'm gonna have to just stay stuck in these certain areas. I'll give you an example. About two years ago, I started to go on this journey of the worst depression I've ever had of my life. And you're like, Meredith, you have depression? Yes, yes, I've struggled with depression. God's people struggle with depression. 
and seasons of their life. And I, I got in this place where I felt trapped. I was like, I know God loves me and I love him and I'm gonna keep serving him. But man, this depression is just something that I'm just gonna have to carry. And I'm gonna have to just have it in my back pocket and do what I can to like help ease the pain and help ease the sadness and help ease the grief. But I just couldn't see a future where God took hold of something that I was struggling with and he helped me through it. I couldn't see an out. Here I am, I know who Jesus is. I've read about his power, I know about his love, but I was trapped into thinking that, man, this, this depression that I'm going through, this one's on me. <laughs> and I just need to work hard and I need to keep one foot in front of the other. And I'm, it's not like, I, I know God cares, but this just might be how I am and the way my brain works. And the devil had the opportunity in that moment to say, to convince me that God loves me, but this is an area of my life that he's not gonna touch, that he's not gonna change, that is what it is. And culture has a really good way of making you think you need to identify with the things that you struggle with. But our identity isn't in the things we struggle with, it's that we're sons and daughters of Jesus, right? That's our identity. And so slowly I began to think, well, maybe, God, maybe you do care about this and maybe there is a way out of this. And one night I simply just said a prayer to God. I said, God, I really have doubts here. And what I've been through the past couple years leads me to believe nothing's gonna change in my mind and in my heart. But would you help me in this area? I don't know. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. I need help with this area of my life. I need help with this depression. So I started praying more. I started reaching out to friends more. I started praying and praying and praying and hoping and by faith continuing to give it over to God, to give it over to God, to give it over to God. Just, just hoping, Lord, see, the Lord will see me in this, hopefully. I know he sees other people in this, but maybe he'll see me, maybe he'll see me. And I'm like, kind of believing in him, but also feeling a little shameful. And I remember a Sunday morning when a dear lady at church, after service, came up to me in a Target and said, I don't know you, but the Lord wants you to know that he sees your depression and he's with you and he's going to help you. Wow. And I know somebody that went to Bible college and is a pastor should have thought, well, obviously. But it shook me to my core to know that God would go as far as to tell someone else to tell me, I see you, I've heard your cry, I've seen you in your struggle. And even though you're not perfect, and even though you haven't fixed everything on your own, and even though there's probably a lot of other ways you could be helping yourself out of this, I don't care, I am here, I am close, and I will help you. And it revolutionized what I thought about God and how I thought he thought about me. 
It was like, okay, God, suddenly I don't need to know the timeline of when I'm gonna get out of this. It's enough to know that you just care and you see me and you don't want me to stay where I am. You don't want me to just stay in my suffering, in my struggle and have me just stay in the background. And I thought, man, maybe all God cares about is that I show everybody else who Jesus is, but maybe he doesn't care as much about healing and restoring me. Yeah, I know he cares about healing and restoring you and you and everybody else, but maybe he doesn't care to do that in me, but I'll work hard to make sure everybody else sees it. And God's like, no, see that lie, Meredith, is something that is sitting in the pews in front of you. It's not just me that thinks that way, it's us. That man, I'm gonna serve and love God so that everybody else sees who he is. But I'm hiding away because I just, I really don't trust that he loves and cares enough about me. That he wants access to those areas of my life and that he can actually do something about it. So we stay stuck. Or we go to other things to just take the edge off. A lot of people in here are struggling with anxiety. It's consumed your life for years. It's gotten worse and worse and worse. And you've turned to other things because you're convinced <laughs> that you're just gonna be stuck with it forever. So maybe you say, man, I've, I've turned to other people to try to fix it. I vape to try to fix it. I turned to alcohol to try to drown it out. I've had every other thing. I'm, I'm, I'm just solely gonna rely on these meds. And God's saying, listen, I don't want you stuck in anxiety because behind your anxiety, there's some broken things that I wanna carry, that I wanna expose, that I wanna heal. And I want you to know that I am sufficient when you are weak. My grace is sufficient, my love is sufficient. God wants access to every area of your life the mental health issues, the fear of the future, where you are in your finances, where you are with your kids and your spouse and your marriage and your family. He wants access to all of it. And if you'll say yes to putting down the things that haven't worked and picking up Christ and holding on to him, he'll take those things and he'll redeem them for your good and his glory. He does it every single time. Every single time he does it. And if he's done that with me, if he's done that with me, he wants to do that for you. So I don't know what it is this morning. We talked about our, 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 us being as a house and there's rooms in our homes and they represent every area of our life. And maybe you've come to this place where you're like, yeah, I'm hiding in shame. <laughs> I'm hiding, I'm tucking this part away. Maybe it's your marriage. And you're like, yeah, I've just settled for where it's at. I haven't really talked to God about it. I haven't really talked to others about it. Or you're like, it's my anxiety, my mental health. I have these things that take the edge off, but I haven't really talked to God about it. And I haven't talked to other people about it because you've hidden it away in shame. Maybe it's, man, there are dreams and hopes that I have, but I've tucked them away because I'm not good enough for God to use me for his glory in that area. So you haven't taken a step out with God. 
and given it a shot. <laughs> you haven't talked to others about it. You haven't prayed with God about it. The list goes on and on and on. And if you're in this room and you're like, yeah, there's something in me that I'm just maybe starting to believe that God not only wants to get up close and personal with and want to access with, but maybe my current circumstance, maybe this isn't the end of the road in this area. Maybe Christ can come on the scene and he can do something greater with it than I ever dreamed was possible.